over again. Thinking of, of alcohol as different from other drugs has caused a great many addicts to relapse. Before we came to NA, many of us viewed alcohol separately, but we cannot afford to be confused about this. Alcohol is a drug. We are people with the disease of addiction who must abstain from all drugs in order to recover. Just, just for today, I'll, I'll read that. Just for today, tell yourself, just for today, my thoughts will be on my recovery, living and enjoying life without the use of drugs. Just for today, I will have faith in someone in NA who believes in me and wants to help me in my recovery. Just for today, I'll have a program. I'll try to follow it to the best of my ability. Just for today, to NA, I will try to get a better perspective on my life. Just for today, I will be unafraid. My thoughts will be on my new associations, people who are not using, and who have found a new way of life. So long as I follow that way, I have nothing to fear. I'd like to thank all the uh, everyone for help opening the meeting. At this time, I'd like to introduce Tony W. from uh, Greensboro. Yeah. The, the topic is, attitude is a little thing that makes the that that makes a big difference. Thanks. I'm an ag. My name's Tony. And I was kind of hoping that uh, it would have went the other way around. <laughs> that my friend, you know, it's it's an honor to be a person. I'd like to thank this area for even asking me to come out and share uh, my experience, Jane and Hope. Thank you for that trouble. Uh, and uh, I just got to notice maybe about 30, 40 minutes ago, and, uh, you know, and where I come from, if you try not to say no when someone actually not cast a nine to do something, uh, that's just the way I was brought up. That was for you, I don't, I don't know. And, and come to find out, I have an opportunity to share that with Napoleon, with a very good friend of mine. You know, we travel on the roads together, up and down the road to some conventions, and, uh, when I got here, man, you know, uh, I, she may have had seven or eight years clean more than when I first got here. And back then, you that was you was like a god. You had that much time clean, you know. Uh, my clean date is September 6, 1997. So I had 17, I just celebrated 17 years clean. And so she's already, she was already here. And and, and the, the other part that we were rolling together with is another good friend of mine. And, and But he's not with us here today, but he's at home and uh all of them already had seven to eight years, so I was going to ask her, well, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? So usually, if she would have said, no, I want you to go first, I would, I would have came on up anyway. Because, again, where I come from, the predecessors, you know, kind of like told us what to do. Right. You know, so, and I still run with that. Sometimes we just go hang out with some of the older predecessors here, and they'd be like, who going to drive? They'd be like, who got the less clean time? And I'd be, I got, well, you driving. <laughs> so... You know, so I still roll with that today. Sometimes, even today now, sometimes I, I get other guys we roll out, and I don't have to drive. Somebody else is, is shorter than me. So, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of grateful for that. And uh, so I don't know, man. I don't know where I'm going or what is going to come out. I'm just going to give you what God put in my head, and, and I'm going to throw it out. You know, may not make no sense or whatever. But they gave me the topic, you know, uh, attitude. Is a little thing that makes a big difference. 
Uh, and really, I didn't know what the hell that is. So, you know, I wouldn't call my sponsor because I like to tap in with my sponsor before I'm going to, you know, I don't want to think I got this thing and thinking I'm just coming up in here and share and run on my wheel. And my sponsor shared some stuff with me and, and, and uh, I went to the dictionary, you know, well, I didn't have my dictionary. With, so I went to Google and you look it up. So Google will tell you everything you want to know. You ain't got to look up words no more. You can go to Google and she'll tell you everything. So, you know, so, and, and thinking about, you know, the topic, man, my attitude. And, 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 man, I try to keep a good attitude even when I'm going through some stuff. Like right now, I'm going through some stuff, man, that I really didn't want to get up here and talk about. And it seems like every time that you're going through some stuff, somebody always asks you to share you know, I'd be like, I was all up in Long Island, man, and I'm I'm on the LIE in Long Island going to the convention, and I don't even think nobody know I'm coming. And they call me, I'm stuck in traffic in Long Island Express, and, and they're asking me to share. When I'm like, how did you even know I was coming? You know, and I'm going through some stuff at that time. So it's always when I'm going through, somebody's calling me to share about stuff. And, uh. And like I said, I'm going through these things right now, man. So I try to keep a good attitude. And even the people that I hang out with, I try to, you know, you got to have a good attitude to hang out. I just don't need nobody feeding my spirit with a bunch of crazy stuff. You know, negative. And, and you know, I, so I try to think positive at all times. And all the time it don't work because my disease is lives in my head, man, tells me stuff all the time. Even with 17 years clean. I'm not never good enough. You know how you be doing something and, and make an A in it, and the disease said you should have made an A plus. It just wasn't all wasn't good enough. And so with my, my attitude, man, you know, even you know, I'm going through these things, man. Like, let me just share. Like, a year ago, I lost my wife. It's, it's a little over a year now. My wife died in this process in recovery, man. She was, you know, 20 years clean, and she died of breast cancer. You know, breast cancer just destroyed her, you know. And I had to, I had to walk through that, man. You know, and it took me and the program, the God of my understanding, and you people to help me get through that. You know, I can't just walk around here just cause my wife died, be snapping and hollering and, you know, don't want you to talk to me, don't want to get no experience tipping you, you you don't know, you don't know what it's like and all that, man, but you guys help me. Help me get through this situation and I'm still going through. Because I'm thinking, you know, I'm supposed to get through it. They said, no, you ain't going to get through it, man. You know what I mean? I'm just going through right now. You know, so it ain't something that I'm going to ever forget. You know, I love my wife, Cole Holly. You know, we've been together, man, for 15 years. And out of 13 years of being married, man, you know, I had not stepped outside of my relationship in that marriage. You know, that's some big boy stuff for me. Because when I came in here, man, I, I, my, my thinking wasn't like that. My attitude and my behavior when I got here, man, was totally different when I, when I first got here. Because I thought, you know, I was living in a fantasy world when I got here. I always say my first draw was fantasy. Because, you know, I came out from the, you know, I was born in the 50s and I was raised in the 60s and the 70s. You know, I came out when the music was like Sly Stone. I want to take you higher. You know, that's that's where I come from. You know, Rick James was fired up, you know, and, and Parliament Funkadelics was, you know, make myself some P-Funk. I want to get funked up. 
you know, everything, you know, and then I, I was even listening to the Eagles, man, and, you know, the welcome to the Hotel California, you know, everything seemed like they was getting high. So my mind, my head was all screwed up when I got, by the time I got here, you know, so I'm thinking, oh, let's, and then I raised up in, in Newburgh, New York, man, after, you know, after I got a little bigger and I, I moved to, I didn't move to New York, they sent my ass to New York, and I ended up being in New York, and in New York, man, the, the things was different. You know, my role models, man, used to be people like, you know, uh, uh, Bob Hayes, Gail Sales, you know, Mark Spitz. You know, I had some role models, man, that, you know, when I was growing up, the things that I wanted, I wanted to be like, you know. And then after, you know, being in New York, man, my role models started to change into people like John Gotti and Nino Brown. But I don't know when all that happened, but it happened. My attitude and my thinking started to go different, man. So when my wife passed away, man, to get back to, you know, I had to come up in here, man, and go through that. And then I was hoping this meeting, like, I see people coming in, man, I'd be like, I hope it just stayed just like this right here, you know, with about five people in. But it don't never happen. God is sending people in from everywhere, right? So when my wife passed away, man, and I ended up uh, walking through that situation. And now, you know, even after that happened, man, now I'm in the place now, man, I'm going through like, I'm going through foreclosure, my house, you know, they ain't, they ain't signed no papers or saying, you know, I got to go to court next week, man, to see about my house, whether now I'm going to be in my house or whether I'm going to live in the house, or do I have to go live in a room in the house somewhere? You know, I've been in my house for 15 years, man. And you know, after 15 years, you gather some stuff. So my thinking is that, you know, you're going to live in a doggone uh, three-quarter house somewhere. You know, so, you know, I'm going through that situation. My house going in the foreclosure, man. I got two teenage boys at home, which is, you know, my, uh, Charles and Jermaine. Charles is, is, is 27. Jermaine is 20. Like, now Charles is 25 and Jermaine is like 23. And, which was my wife. I married my wife. She had two boys. And now, you know, I'm in that house. So, man, so it's a lot of stuff going on. And then I come into these meetings, man. And, and y'all tell me I have to change my attitude and my thinking. Because sometimes I think, you know, I, look, if you say the wrong thing to me, I'll come off the fucking top rope on your ass. You know, like, you know, because you're 24 years old and I've been taking care of you all these years. I say one was five, five and the other one was seven. Now Charles stands about 6'2 and Jermaine stands almost six feet and little me, you know, 5'8. And I think... And I still can do some things like I used to do, you know. So I think I, I, you know, I'd be like, you know, some things I just won't tolerate in, in the household, you know. So, you know, my attitude and my thinking has to change, man. You know, my attitude is, I'm, I'm going through that, man. I'm going through these two boys that's in the house. Now, cause we're all still living together. Even though my wife has, so we're trying to work things out, man. I'm doing this. And, and things are just not going right. So I got hired on this job, man. Then I lost the job. You know, I I, I got my finger jammed on on, a, on my job, man. And, and you know, after they hired me and, and gave me the Blue Cross Blue Shields, I'm thinking I'm good, right? Cause I I ain't planning on working about another three four years. You know, I'm 60 years old right now, right? So I'm six. I'm thinking I got maybe a good five years left. Yeah, I said I I'll work for this company for five years, and I'm gonna get my all my benefits. And then I'm, I'm getting out. I'm tired of work. I'm tired of jumping off forklifts and shit all day, you know, 12 hours, 14, 15 hours a day. And so I wanted to do something different. And then that fell through. 
This program is helping me, man, to clear my mind. Because y'all tell me I have to live this program even outside of here. When I come in here for one hour, man, I have to start to live this thing. I got to live it, man. So when I go home sometime, man, sometime I'm off the hook. And the girl was shared about that tonight, man. I'm, you know, I, I can get to my door, man, and it just seem like everything is, is changing. So I done kind of like resigned myself to my bedroom. In my own house. I'm locked in my bedroom in my own house. Don't want to come out because I'm scared of the conversations of things I might say. I don't want to hurt nobody today. Even my boys at home, man, I can say the wrong thing thinking that it's going to be my way out of the highway. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, I have to listen to them sometimes. I got to listen to your input. So now we have like, you know, uh, we're going to have a discussion or something. You know, we do it like the, the seven, the 12 traditions. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the traditions that we have here. You know, we're going to have group conscious meeting at the kitchen table. <laughs> you know, let's have a, let's have a meeting. Yeah, you know, cause they know the whole meeting thing, man. And, and my, my, my grandson, man, I love my grandson, man. He's nine years old, right? And with so much stuff going on, man, and trying to live this program, man, sometimes I find myself hollering at him. My attitude, man, I'll take it out on the people who's close to me. And I'll be hollering at him. And about a month ago, he told me, he said, Papa, why you keep hollering at me? He said, every time we say something, man, you start hollering and cussing at me. That made me have to take a look at that, man. When he said it, man, I couldn't say shit. Because I, I know that what I was just doing, man, and I find myself doing that in him, man. And he's nine years old, man. And he restored me back to some sanity. Because I don't want to be that way, man. I ain't, I ain't never, he's nine years old, he ain't never got no whooping from me, man. I only put my hands on him. Because I thought ass wouldn't work, man. Then it would have worked for me a long time ago. It didn't work for me. My dad beat my ass good all the time. And I still went out and did what I wanted to do. So I know ass whooping ain't going to change nothing. So I never put my hands on it, man. So I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to have a good attitude when all this stuff is going on with me, man. I'm still trying to do the right thing. I'm still trying to keep a positive attitude. So I try to stay positive. And like I said, I just surround myself with positive people. They say it's going to be all right. You know, even though my head tells me that, you know, you know how to make money, Tony. You know, start flipping. Flipping ain't never worked for me, no way. Yeah, I couldn't flip nothing. I used to wonder why people always blow it up around me. I could never blow up. I was out there for a long time, man. I ain't blow up. You know, I was always the one that was copying. You know, I wasn't the one that went to Peru and all that stuff and come back. You know, that wasn't my story. You know. And when that other drug hit the town, man, you know, because I'd be hearing that. And, you know, I thought then that I still had a little stuff going on. But in the 80s, when the other thing hit the streets, man. (laughs) Yeah. For real, for real, I thank God that that shit hit the street because I probably would still be out there that shit when it came, thinking I still had it going on. Come on now. But when that came to town, that, then look, it wasn't no more nothing. 
Don't you do nothing until you check with me first. You better make sure I'm with you at all times. You know. You better check with me. Don't you go to no funerals. Don't you go to no weddings. Don't you go to nothing until you check with me first. Yeah, you got to check in. <laughs> yeah. I was talking about, man, look at I Because I remember, you know, I used to be, what y'all, get up off the bed. What y'all doing that shit? You know, yeah, in the beginning. Then I, then I started doing it. So I still try to keep a positive attitude, man, because I don't want to go back to them. I don't want to go back there, man, because, see, my head will tell me some stuff, man. You know, I went to prison, man, in 1975, man. I had 52 counts of breaking and entering, 32 counts of safe cracking. Because my disease told me I was a burglar mm. and you're a safe cracker. <laughs> you should have known. I just told you I got 15 to 20 years, but I should have told you right there that I wasn't good at it. But I continue to do it. Sometimes even right now today, man, I can walk, I can, I can walk through food lines and seem like all food lines are set up the same. I don't care where you go, all across the state. They set up the same way. And when that door come over, the first thing I do is look over towards the safe and you know open to the safe. Everything is right there. And 90% of the time the safe is always open. And my head, if I'm caught up, my head still tell me today you can get that money out of here. Yeah. It even tells me how to get it. Yeah. Get on your knees. Crawl around the counter. And ain't nobody going to see you. And forget, this, this is in the front of the store. They got a damn camera shining directly down on the safe. <laughs> but, but my disease will tell me ain't nobody going to see you. Yeah. And when I'm caught up in the grips, man, nonsense makes perfectly good sense. Because that seems like a perfectly good idea when I'm caught up in the grips. So I, that's one of the reasons why, man, I got to keep a positive attitude, right? That's why I hang around positive people, man. Look, I don't even listen to 102 Jam on my radio. Look, I can't listen to it, man, because, every look, they said, be careful what you feed your spirit. Because I feed my spirit that shit, man. I be like, I be crazy as hell. I'm already crazy, but I be even crazier. You know? But they be like, you know, well, fuck the police and hey, you know, going there. Like, I be driving in my car and just be bouncing. Yeah! You know, F the police and I be stepping on the gas and then all of a sudden the blue light come on and I, I don't want to get humble and get into denial then, right? I'm, I, went, I went past the state trooper running about 80 miles an hour. And he was sitting in the middle of the highway on the one, you know, on the grass part right there. And he spin around in the grass. I'm looking at my rearview mirror, right? I went straight into the night. I know he, I know he ain't coming after me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing 80 now. I'm, and I fly past. Woo! I said, I bet you, I know this fool didn't just pass me. I'm sitting there. He spin around, right in the grass, man, and jump in. So he come up behind me. He ain't after me. Turn the blue lights on. He ain't after me. I can see him in his, in his mirror. I'm my mirror. He's doing this right here in, the, in, his, in his car. Like, you need to pull your ass over. Like, right now. Yeah, gave me a ticket, too. So I ain't trying to do that one no more, either. My attitude, man. 
My attitude plays a big part in me in my recovery, man. And I, and I can't forget that. You know, it's the, the latest, I mean, the topic says it has a, uh, an attitude is a little thing in that, that makes a big difference. So it makes a big difference to me if my attitude starts getting all out of whack. I told you I can be at home, man, with my boys and my grandson, man, until, like, I think I got control of everything in there. That's not like that, you know. I have to walk through some things, you know. Like I said, I got to be in court uh, next week to find out what's going what's going to happen with me and my house. You know, I don't know how that's going to come out, man. But I still gonna have to keep a positive attitude. You know, I can't just say, well, oh, you know, F it, you know, because that's what I used to do, man. I would say, you know, make it. I, I ain't worrying about it. They grown now. I done took care of them, you know, all this time. They grown. It's not right, man. That's not the right thing to do. That's not the right attitude to have. Because sometimes they be looking for me to make, to still make the decisions around the house. I'm not always good at it. You know. So I still try to keep a positive attitude. And it's it's hard, man, because you know even you know it's been a little over a year, man, and you know and I tell you I'm 60 years old today, man, and, and I'm, I'm I'm trying to date again, you know that's that's a hard thing, man, you know because when it was a long time for me being with my wife, man, to you know like you said I I lost all my skills. Y'all told me I had to get rid of all that slick shit that you thought you I had to get rid of all that. Because I can, I can put on a face, man. You know that. You know I like. I can change like the weather. You know what? Who I gotta be? The whoop, and I flip into that outfit. You know when I got here, man, I thought I was Pretty Tony. I went to the movies one time and saw this movie, and they had a pimp, and his name was Pretty Tony. <laughs> Look, no sooner I left the movie, I became Pretty Tony from that day on. I took up the role of Pretty Tony. I told the guy, because it was a bunch of guys, I all went to the movie. We saw this movie, The Mac, and, and, and uh, it was Iceberg Slim. And all of them were showing these movies. So we went all over, went in there, and I said, from now on, y'all call me Pretty Tony. <laughs> I started combing my hair backwards and shit. <laughs> I still comb my shit backwards, man. You know. But I'm grateful for the program, man. I'm grateful for the program that allowed me to come in here, man, and make the change. You know, I don't want to be that person no more. I want to come in, man, and have a good attitude even when I, when I, when I leave here and I take it home. You know, my sisters and brothers, man, you know, they love me today. You know, and I, when I, when I got here, man, you know, I was, like I said, I was towed up just from the floor just like everyone else, I guess, up in here. I know when I got him in, I was messed up. My family had just about disowned me, man, and I got eight sisters and three other brothers. I come from a large family. But even though with that, man, you know, I wasn't allowed to be in the house. If they leave the house, then I had to go with them. I mean, where you going, Tony? I'm going to go to the store. <laughs> Wait, what you going to do? <laughs> so, you know, Today, man, they love me. Today, they can go out of town and leave me their key and watch the house for them. This is what this program has given me. 
You know, I'm trying to learn, man. I'm trying to learn the things, man. You know, like I said, man, by me me dating again, man, and, and it's hard, you know. Even the girl that I'm dating, man, she's sitting right up in here now. I don't like, I don't like the shit. I don't, you know, I get uncomfortable. So I heard somebody already say, you're not here to make you comfortable. You know, you ain't going to be comfortable. You know, get uncomfortable. You know, maybe I've been comfortable too long. You know, but I want to be able to be able to live this program, man. And I want to be able to have a positive attitude with other people. When other addicts come around me, because I still got a lot of guys in my neighborhood, man, who I still I used to use with, I still see every now and then, you know. But I, I don't just go to them, man. Like, man, I you know, I, you know, and then I they want a couple of dollars every now and then, giving them a couple of dollars. People say, well, man, you ain't helping nobody with their disease. I like I don't know what the hell they're gonna do with the money. You know, my my motives was good. You know, I'm giving. I hope you go get something to eat. I hope you go get a soda and get you something to drink. Because I remember how hard it was for me, man. You know, to have fifty dollars in your pocket and give it all to the dope man. And now, and then after you do it, you got you want a soda. You ain't got enough money to buy a damn grape drink. Yeah. I didn't even talk about grape juice, you know, we were talking about grape drink, you know. <laughs> that juice, that cost a whole dollar more. He, he ain't finna get that, but <laughs> you get your grape drink. I, I didn't know what grape juice tastes like until I got grown. <laughs> I mean, I just think about, you know, when I got grown, man, I didn't even know that was rest areas on on the highway. I remember we used to drive from Greensboro to New York because my mother had twin sisters. She lived in New York. And we used to drive back and forth to New York maybe two or three times maybe out of a year to see, you know, my father. And he would like trying to do it in record-breaking time and shit, you know. So he could tell my uncles and all them that when he get there, oh, I got up here in eight and a half hours. I got up here in nine hours. You know, he didn't tell you that he didn't stop no damn where we had to bust our kidneys and everything to get there. You know, I was like, when I got grown, I was going, you know, when I'm driving, I, I stopped and see some stuff. Nothing I heard that shit, you know. I like to see the trees and, and the weather changing and they, they brown on this side, half of them green. You know, and I'm stopping and looking around. But I didn't realize that until I got grown. I'm just like, damn, maybe they got rest areas on the side. <laughs> you can actually stop. <laughs> I was all that time, we went back and forth in New York. We never stopped at a day of rest area, you know. I was like, shit, man, that's, it's crazy. Attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference, you know. So I try to, like I said, I try to keep a positive attitude. And uh, I try not to let my pretty Tony, you know, because, you know, they say this disease is arrested. You know, I, I thought I was just that slick back in the day that I, you know, think I can call myself pretty Tony and I got some control over somebody. You know, and sometimes my head to tell me that again. Sometimes my the girl I'm dating now might say something. I just use it. Let me let me handle this. Let me straighten. <laughs> I be like, no, Tony, <laughs> your ass done got me in enough trouble before with that crazy foolishness. You know, so I'm trying not to do that today. I'm trying not to live that way. I try to, like I said, I try to hang out with positive people. Who's gonna tell me some good things, man? Even though when I know I'm, you know, I'm going through all kind of madness right now, man. Like I don't know what these people's gonna do when I go to court next week. 
about my house, right? So I, I got to keep a positive attitude. I can come in and project what they're going to say and what they're going to do when I get down there. But I don't know what they're going to do. You know? So I got some plans set up already. You know? You know, say, you can, I don't care. It's okay to plan. Just don't plan the outcome. That's what they tell me. That's what y'all told me. So I can plan some stuff, you know? So I'm going to go in there with the plan and maybe a lawyer. So <laughs> to handle some things that, that I can't handle, man. You know, and I'm gonna stay positive in the way. You know, uh, I, I was in here a while ago, man, and, and you know, I was coming out of the, the speaker meeting, man, and, and I see my friend, she's going downstairs. She told me that she had to have something to eat. And, uh, because she's, she's a diabetic and, and she had to have something to eat and she was getting sick. And, and I'm in there listening to the dang on, you know, the, the raffle ticket thing. And I see him going out the door and someone's holding on to her, you know, to help her down the steps, you know. So I had to come up out of there immediately, man. Used to be time, man. I'm like, I got to stay. The mother said, this is $519. Let me see if I get this damn money before I, before I go check on her. But I'm not doing that today, man. It, it wasn't that important. Even though I don't have any money. Well, let me stop lying. I got a little, I got a few dollars. I'm not completely broke, you know. But uh, I had to come on out there and make sure that she was okay. Even though, you know, they was calling off the raffle ticket. So, you know, I didn't win no way. So as I was going out the door, I heard some girl winning. So, you know, that made me even feel a little bit better. But I was trying to do the responsible thing, you know, to go out and check on her. That's somebody with a good attitude, man. My attitude is changing. Uh... It's been changing for the past 17 years. I no longer try to live that lifestyle. I try to be somebody that I'm not. You know, I, I don't try to dress up no more. I used to come to the conventions, man. <laughs> I used to dress up. You know, I got, like I said, I got to have a different outfit for everything. Every time I'm going to, I, you know, and that's okay. If you still do it, that's okay, man. But, you know, sometimes now, man, I go into a meeting, I might have to sit on the floor. Because every time I ain't no seats, I be like, shit, look at all that room right here. Right. I come up here and sit on the floor. And then I, I'm okay with me on the inside today. You know, I know how to dress up if I want to. But give me a pair of jeans, t-shirt, and a pair of raggedy shoes or something, man. I, I'm, I'm good. I walk around in there. My girl sometimes be telling me, why you going? I have some pair of boots. Man, I love them raggedy boots. I think she threw them out of the way because <laughs> I put them boots on. Like, I, I'm good with me. You know, I, I know how to dress if I want to. I can put on a pair of a suit, a uh, pair of ballads, uh, you know, Bartley 500 slacks or something, beer black. But if I choose to be like a, a pair of jeans and T-shirt, I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm okay. You know, but if we're going somewhere, I'll, I'll try to step it up a little bit. <laughs> so anyway, man, uh, I don't know. I, I heard my friend say that one time, but... When you run out, it's time to sit your ass down and don't be up there babbling. And I'm not going to be up here babbling. So, uh, again, I got my friend there, so I know if whatever I didn't say, maybe she'll close it out. So I'm grateful to be here, man. I'm, I'm glad they kind of asked me this topic to do this topic within the 30 minutes. I got a chance to share out some stuff that I need to work on when I go home. Uh, like I said, this, this program is meaningless unless I, unless you live it. And so when I go home and man, when I see my grandson again, you know, 
And I call him all the time. I don't want him to ever say to me again, Papa, why are you hollering at me? You know, because that that's not the way he, he that we used to in my house. Uh, he never been treated that way, for, not for me, anyway. Now his dad, whatever, may treat him a one way, but that's his dad. I don't beat him, I don't whoop him, I don't do none of that stuff. I just try to love him the best way I can. And I heard my friend talking about today, man. I try to give him anything he want. You know, I try to spoil the hell out of him. Be like, Papa, I want Timberland boots. He want this. Now he want told me the other night he want this little thing that spins around in the. I want this. I said, boy, you too big for that. But I said, I ain't getting it. Shit, that's a lie. I know. <laughs> that's as soon as Christmas come around, I have it for him. You know, I try to do the best that I can to get it for him. Again, I'm grateful for covering that. My name is Tony. And thanks for allowing me to show you. I'm Patrick. I'm an addict. Uh, again, the topic is... Um, Attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. And our second uh, speaker is Irma from Florence, South Carolina. Thank you. Hey, family. My name is Irma, and I'm an addict. I want to congratulate the Greater Sand Hills area and Narcotics Anonymous on this second convention. Um, real grateful to be able to say that um, I've been around long enough to watch this process here. So it's good to see recovery grow and um, the message being carried. Um, uh, this topic. Um, Attitudes, big thing. Um, I can never get that. Attitudes, a little thing. Attitudes, a little thing that makes a big difference. Um, I um, caught a workshop this morning that kind of tickles me uh, because it's giving me a glimpse of the current attitude that I got right now. Um, what happens when the old timer gets old? Look. It's ten thirty, crawled eleven. It's time to go to bed. <laughs> I was telling some people earlier. I said, you know, my mama tried to tell me a long time ago. It don't take long to do right, and I've been doing right all day. And it's time to go to bed. You know, but um, my attitude is that I really don't want to be in here sharing because. Um, I don't feel that I have a message to carry because I haven't been making meeting as regularly as I'm accustomed to. Um, I'm not um, connected to a home group. That's my foundation. What I can say is that I definitely have a relationship with a God of my understanding and a sponsor and a network of recovering addicts who support me in my life. And that keeps me grounded. And in saying that, um, attitude is not a little thing that makes a big difference. You know, because my attitude about life 
and the use and the abuse of drugs brought me to these rooms at 24 years old where I was standing on a street corner in Florence, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, wondering which way it would come, what it would be, and what would I have to do in order to get it so that I could get high, so that I could start that vicious cycle all over again. It was something in me that told me that I needed to find a great escape from reality. And that was me not knowing how to deal with reality. Um, I didn't want to act and show up and be responsible nor accountable for my actions. I always wanted to blame people, places, and things for the decisions that I made. And it really, I didn't make decisions because I was too much of, and I have the language of recovery now, a punk, but I didn't have the spiritual principle of courage to make a decision. So by default, I made decisions by not making a decision. So you give up that responsibility of being responsible to, I gave up my responsibility for my mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical health because I didn't want to be wrong. I didn't want people to um, judge me any more than I had already been judged from where I came from. Um, um, I'm the baby of uh, three siblings. My mother is, uh, my mother was uh, the youngest of her siblings when she had me in 64. I'm like a grandchild instead of a direct niece. Um, never knew any of my grandparents. I want to be uh, daddy's little girl, but my mother left my father when, um, I was six months old because he physically abused her, a special needs cousin, and my brother who is not his child. And um, I grew up where I was taught principles to um, tell the truth, to be honest for what honest was, but as long as you don't tell nobody what's going on in this house. And if you're doing something wrong, you tell me, but don't tell nobody else. You know, I got that mixed message about what I should and should not talk about. Um, long story short, um, I never felt like I was a part of my own family. And so uh, around six or seven years old, I started realizing that my mother was um, matured and that um, I would probably be by myself before long because I started experiencing death at an early age of my elders in my family. And so I started praying at around six or seven years old that I died around 16. Wanted to have a sweet 16 party so that I wouldn't feel abandoned. But um, the great escape came in for me when I found 
um, drugs and al drugs and alcohol. And you know, one of the things that came to me a little earlier today was um, I remember the first time my family introduced me to alcohol. <clears throat> And it wasn't in one of those settings like sometimes you can see some people will give a little child a little beer to see how they spin and all this other stuff. It wasn't like that. It was one of my uh, uh, so-called cousins, like 18th birthday, and I was supposed to be like maybe uh, 10 or 12, and they gave me just a little bit of beer to uh, drink, you know, since it was a celebratory kind of thing. And um, I tasted it. I'm like, ooh, this don't taste like nothing. So I put sugar in hops, you know, and just made the biggest mess all over everything. <laughs> and, you know, you would think that me um, being the child that I was, I kind of identified with Curious George because I wanted to know things, but nobody really uh, encouraged me to be inquisitive and to ask questions and to get answers so that I would be informed. And so it was like, um, I should have known that that was the beginning of a problem for me. But when I found alcohol, I became a weekend warrior. Um, that great escape gave me the feeling of Calgon where it just took me away. And so for 10 years, for whatever reason, I started out a weekend warrior doing reuniting on Brusco and a good joint to seven days a week, you know, um, marching for the general, you know, on the crack. And when I found the rooms in Archives Anonymous, it was about I just need to learn how not to fuck up my money so that I can have a place to stay, um, get something to eat go ahead and cut my hair because I had to eat out a uh, perm. This was perm here and all this was natural, you know, because I slept wherever I could, you know. Um, um, I, um, I, I did what I had to do. I sold myself sexually, uh, uh, beginning and ended very quickly because the... Um, they call them chicken heads and skeezers now, but um, I was a rock star. They called me a rock star. And rock stars, when a guy knew that he was going to pick you up for either a little crumb or $20, he treated you any kind of way. And so in the sexual act, it was very brutal and very um, demeaning. And one of the things that I still remember, which is what I'm so grateful for, is how being in the backseat of an abandoned car with no backseat in it, but just that board and the guy just viciously thrusting his penis in me to inflict pain, and it was it, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was pleasurable for him, and it was also painful for me. And I'm like, would you just hurry up, you know? And my back, and that might be some of the problems I have with my back even still today, you know, that flesh on that metal and just that, you know. But um, 
I got clean November the 14th, 1988. And so in a couple of days, we'll be celebrating 26 years. It's not about the yet that I haven't experienced. It's that shit that I don't want to do again that keeps me here. And in that process of keeping me here, you know, I'm real grateful that I was taught respect for literature um, and the readings because I knew how to read. But that skill was something that I hadn't um, honed in from the streets. And when I got here, we could hear the readings clearly. You know, and a comment was made by one of my... Um, good friends, I call you good friend, about um, the abuse that we can do with the uh, readings and how we play with it when people need to hear one, step one, step two, step three, ain't no wee, it was cute for a second, but really we need to, somebody need to hear that, because I needed to hear that, um, I, need, I needed to hear that, um, There is one thing more than anything else that will defeat us in our recovery. This is an attitude of indifference or intolerance towards spiritual principles. So, right there is telling me about an attitude. And it's like, I need to be checking myself to see how have I been wrecking myself. And listening to these readings and hearing the, uh, my predecessors talk about why they got high and how they got high and identifying with the feelings and emotions it was like oh oh so I don't have to stay out on the street more than um, an hour or two for one quick trick and get sick on my stomach because I degraded myself in my own eyes not about what somebody else thought, but it was about how I thought about myself. Because when I got clean, Michael Jackson had, I'm looking at the man in the mirror, I'm asking him to change his ways. I couldn't even look at my direct reflection in the mirror. I shied away from my own reflection. So it definitely wasn't about looking at nobody else. And so when I started looking at what were the things that I was uncomfortable with, I saw that there were some things like, I needed to check and see what my thought pattern was. And the only way for me that I could do that was through the step process. And so, um, I'm real grateful that the steps are in order for a reason. Um, I'm going to break it down real quick for me. And this is just my experience, strength, and hope. You know, and this, even though I haven't been as... Um, consistently active in the last two to three years as I have been in being of service to the fellowship, I'm real clear that regardless, I'm still an addict who has the disease of addiction and contingent upon my spiritual connection with the God of my understanding and uh, another human being with myself, the divine order, God, fifth step talks about God, 
ourselves and another human being, that lets me know where I'm at. And if I stay on post with it, I can be on top of it. And so the first three steps was the how of my program. I had to get honest about what was really going on with me. Um, that was the how of getting honest about what my problem was. It wasn't about what somebody did. It was about Irma. It was Irma's thinking. You know, uh, they talk about recovery as an active change in our uh, attitudes and ideas or behaviors. Somehow the literature talks about that. But it was telling me no longer could I really look at that one finger going at y'all, but I had to look at the three pointing back at me. And I had to assess what was going on with me. And in doing that, when I got to my fourth step, I had some power and some hope because I was that hopeless addict that came in and I'm like, well, I don't know because I'm still young and I just wasn't doing it right. If I learned how to get high right so as to not mess up my money and so that I have a place to stay so that I don't have to eat shit sandwiches piled high because somebody did something for me and when they throw it up in your face that you did, did something for you, that's what I call a shit sandwich. I got to eat that. And a lot of times my mouth wasn't that big to be eating no piled high shit sandwiches. I don't have a taste for it. I didn't have a taste for it then, don't have a taste for it now. I don't like nobody throwing up anything in my face. You know, the uh, attitude of self-sufficiency. So degree, I don't need anybody. I can still hear my sister today um, tell me, well, I heard you out there smoking that stuff. They caught they smoking that stuff. I said, yeah, I'm smoking that stuff. I ain't hurting nobody. I ain't got no kids. You got your own house. I got my own house. Mama, dad, daddy ain't paying us no attention. Going, you know. I remember saying, I ain't hurting nobody but me. It's just me. But the disease of addiction will have me doing things where what I think only affects me is like a rock in a pond has that ripple effect. It sends waves out. And, um,. She was concerned about her little sister. So when I got honest about what my problem was, and then when I had that faith and trust and courage and hope to start going into those deep areas that when I heard attitude prior to the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous, I thought it was a sass and a, a umption and a gumption about being whatever. You know, but for real, for real, the attitudes that I had, they were non-productive because I never challenged myself to be the best that I could be because I was afraid of what happened if I succeed. Can I match it again? Can I do better than what I just did? You know, and so... When I did my fourth through ninth step, that was like the open-mindedness for me. Because my fourth step, I took that inventory. That fifth step, I talked about it. The sixth step, I saw what my character defects were. And for me, and what I was taught, and what I believe is um, the disease, self-centeredness, is the root of my disease 
and the seven deadly sins are the branches and every little thing else pops out off of that. So somewhere in there, with the gluttony, greed, jealousy, I can't remember them all right now, but it was, I could always track back some idea, fixed idea in my head to something that was self-serving and fulfilling my so-called ability to be self-sufficient where I didn't need anybody. And um, one of the most powerful things for me in my initial step work was the seventh step when I saw the humility that was required of me to apply in my life in accepting who I was and could be is that there was some good, some bad, and some indifference. I ain't totally bad and I ain't totally good. I can be a work in progress if I choose to continue to practice and apply the spiritual principles of the steps in my life. And so um, the willingness is applying steps 10 through 12. And so when I get my attitude in check, you know, I'm free to be me. You know, my spirit is now soaring because I'm no longer hiding and ducking or ashamed to look people in the eye or tell them who I am because I know who I am. I've become comfortable in the skin that I'm in. But they told me, don't get too hungry, too angry, too lonely, too tired because those are the things that start diminishing a positive outlook and attitude about life, that HALT program, and I'll start seeing the negative aspects of it, and I'll start projecting and uh, get caught up in the what-ifs, if only, and just one more. And so, yeah, I have to associate myself with people who are positive, affirming, and nurturing, you know, and people who have what I aspire to be. And that's a woman of integrity. A woman with dignity. A more a woman with respect and character. A woman who respects myself. And so one of the things I did get um, this evening was uh, the journey. And how she said there's stops along the way. So over the course of the last 25 years, I've had some instances to come up. And... Um, Money, property, prestige, um, recognition in an anonymous program, um, things that have shown me a deeper view of Irma, like that onion being peeled, and in our literature, um, um, how addicts we seem to falter along the way. We never outgrow the immaturity of a child. Um, triangle of self-obsession. You know, um, I've been able to mature on a lot of levels in this process in being financially responsible and accountable, um, uh, rebuilding and establishing and maintaining healthy relationships with my family. 
Um, those are still some works in progress to some degrees because I'm an enabler with my sister. It's like I'm the baby, but I still feel like I need to protect her. Um, being a woman who uh, is capable of being employed, sustaining gainful employment, um, being able that if I choose something that I want, not because you got it, but because something that I want, I can set a goal, practice some prudence in my financial um, demeanor, get it, and keep it. Because I've always listened to people talk about getting this and doing that and then they losing it. And so I'm a real firm believer in, yeah, I can get a whole lot of shit, but can I keep it? Right. You know, and how did I get it in the first place? You know, so I've had some of the things with that and then with the relationships. So, um, most recently I moved back home um, and I was looking forward to being back in South Carolina. And I've been very disheartened because after leaving there, after getting high, getting clean, and gaining a program of recovery to where I felt ready to leave Florence with eight years clean, 18 years later, the same atmosphere of mixed message, um, minimal meetings is still in effect. Um, there was only one NA meeting a week in Florence and three AA meetings a day. Um, we had to drive an hour to get to one NA meeting. 18 years later, and I've seen people come from that area, um, get some clean time, talk good, that good sharing shit about the steps and applying that shit. When I got back to Florence, basically in two months, they lost the meeting facility because they weren't practicing the traditions, were not being self-supporting, you know, um, allowing people to uh, come in and abuse clients. I mean, they got facilities coming in, telling the home group what you will and will not do, you know, and uh, just some stuff, you know, and I and I talked to my sponsor about it, and I said, I know how to choose my battles wisely today. I, that's one I ain't got to fight, you know. No, I ain't got to fight that one. But um, knowing, too, still that, um, as a responsible member of Narcotics Anonymous, I am responsible for carrying the message and helping people with the experience that I've gained over the years to get a glimpse of what this program is about. And so um, going through my home and Getting that straight and reestablishing relationships. Um, I've uh, had a pet, Perry Jasper, for the last 14 years. I got him in 2000. He was a gift in a relationship, but then when that relationship ended, I was like, okay, well, I put a lot of focus into learning to love that animal unconditionally and in the process of doing the step work to see why I was so desperate to um, be in a relationship where 
it wasn't a two-way street and I was the one giving of myself emotionally and spiritually and um, mentally and not having it reciprocated after some time. Um, I went through the step process, um, got in touch with my issues, and I worked on that. And so, um, long story real short, I haven't been in a relationship in 12 years. And um, just recently, my baby died. And in his passing, I've been able to see that there is a part of me that has not been willing to practice these principles in all of my affairs because I have not been willing to become vulnerable again to another human being in a relationship, intimate sexual relationship, because I didn't want to get hurt again. And so I had used my relationship with my pet to avoid the reality of putting myself out there in the dating game again, getting a chance to know somebody, giving somebody a chance to know me, and my expectations not be met, and I get disappointed or hurt again, which isn't the reality. Because there are no guarantees in life, and the one thing that this thing is showing has shown me over the years is that to practice means I got to I got to show up, I got to be a part of, and so for that aspect of my life I didn't show up, and so now with the boy being gone, and I get a chance to see who I am that I am right now, it's like, okay, Irma. There's a whole nother level of accountability that you got to step up and be responsible for to yourself. And when I really look at my attitude, my attitude was I ain't going nowhere near intimate relationship because I ain't trying to feel none of that no more. You know, and I've been doing myself an injustice, you know, and um, I have mourned him because of what I established in that relationship with him that the God of my understanding is showing me that there was a lesson for me to learn from him in learning how to be loving um Caring, compassionate, and I used to have a big issue with being compassionate with people. Um, understanding, sympathetic, um, forgiving, um, accepting, um, that I needed to learn so that I can move into the newest phase that's coming on in my life. And so um, I've taken a look. I've been talking about it, um, getting ready to um, get back into some step work so that I can dress that specifically because that's how I get in my solutions. 
you know, I get the, I, I find out what the problem is, but I get in the solution through steps. And not only not just doing the work, but applying and living the principles and the information so that I can be whole. And I'm going to close with this. There's a, a piece that um, I have always longed, and I hope somebody picks this up. But in our literature, it talks about to be fully whole and wholly free. And they use a H, a WH. O L E and then help me and then yeah, but yeah this that's another level of recovery that it's like I've always talked about but I really want to get to being at that point where I'm fully whole complete you know with or without but but the relationship with the God and then wholly free. And so it's like, okay, that's where you're at now in your recovery. And so that attitude that regardless of how much time, how much experience, how many people I know, how many people help me along the way, the journey continues. You know, and it's not about the destination. But yes, it is. Because, yeah, I want to be fully whole and wholly free. Yeah, I do. And so, my attitude prefaces how I go about it. And so, I got to still be consciously aware of my thoughts and my actions. Because what I think becomes what I feel. What I feel becomes what I do. What I do becomes my character. What my character is is my reputation. And I still believe in what another book talks about. A good name is better to be desired than riches of gold. Because I like having somebody like I do with my sponsor. I respect you. I honor you. I give you that recognition because you earn that. And it's not because you earn it for my specifications, but it's how you carry yourself. And I like that reference with me. And in that, people are willing to come back to the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous now in Florence because they say, well, Irma W. talking about starting a meeting. Well, Irma, you do this, 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 we'll come with you. Power of example. If you didn't get nothing out of it, know that what we think becomes what we feel. My experience has been what I feel becomes what I do. And it makes a difference what I do or don't do. Thanks for listening.
Meeting somewhere, it's the last meeting tonight. It's over. 